Well, not a city, we're not a town. We're the only one of us around. And you know where we can be found when Saturday comes again. We'll be trying to do our best to cheer all those on who wear the rest. Whatever challenge, whatever test, we'll lay an Orion from each end. Lay an Orion from each end. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Orient Hour. My name is Billy Herring, and I'm joined in the studio tonight by Matt Roper and Howard Gould. How are we, gents? Yeah, yeah good. Yeah, good. Yeah. How about good H? Almost good as Matt. Yeah. How about that for an opening, by the way, as well? Our very own Barry Galvin with a uh, with a brand new um, a brand new opening for us, which is fantastic. I'd also like to welcome Glenn Wilkie as well, who's joining us on the phone. Glenn, how are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. You okay, Bill? Yes, very nice, mate. Enjoying the sun? Sort of. A nice lunch out in a pub garden, which was lovely. Oh, there you go. Can't beat a bit of that, can we? All right, let's get straight into it then. So we're going to review the Newport game from the weekend. We've got an interview with Nigel Travis later on um, with our very own Jacob Branson and Steve Tong. And then we're going to go and look at the Oldham game later on this in this hour. So we'll start off then with the Newport review. We started the game with a 3-4-3 formation with uh, Lawrence Vigoru in goal, Mitchell, Beckles, Ogie, James, Bratley, Clay, Wood, Drennan, Smith and Archibald. Um... Gentlemen, what do we think? Glenn, I'll come to you first. Um, I thought it was a, obviously a, a tower of two halves, wasn't it, really? First half, I thought we were very, very good. Although we, we, we let them have too many chances for my liking, a few crosses come in the box and they were unfortunate and Lawrence pulled off a few good saves in that first half, as did their goalkeeper. Well, we should have gone in at the break probably two or three goals up and then obviously we, we conceded that silly silly penalty before the, and we and we go in one one but the, the second half we we really did struggle and fair play to Newport on their brand new pitch they they changed up the formation and uh, Flynn got his players he obviously had a good talking to him at half time got his players playing a bit more direct at times pushed us back and then they got on the ball and settled a bit and, and pushed us back and they created a few chances but. Overall, I think it was a fair result, but just disappointing we didn't get them extra goals in that first half. Yeah, Matt, what did you make of uh, Alex Mitchell? Obviously, brand new signing from Millwall, came in, started his first game, three at the back. What did you think? Yeah, he looked, uh, to be fair, Billy, I mean, obviously, he'd only had his training time, so he looked, he looked reasonably competent. He, he looked, you know, the, the three of them together looked reasonably competent. I think what Glenn says is about right. Um, I mean, I was, like most fans, I mean, I went and I was... Bit, bit disappointed that, uh, like you know, um, that he, he, you know, that we didn't certainly didn't go in, um, you know, at half time up. Obviously, silly penalty. And I think overall, what I saw from the game was I was I was more disappointed that that they looked quite slow at the back, and I thought we probably should have, you know, we should have scored more um, because they certainly opened up several times um, in terms of you know chances that we could have had and I think it's but it, you know it's one of those things and it? it's a mark of a team that if you're disappointed now coming away 1-1 with Newport um, 2-2-2 that you know they'll be at least probably a top 10 side you know they'll, be, they'll have a decent home record and it, you know it's an, you've got to count these points on the road of your early season so you know not, not too disappointed not too disheartened Hey, what did you think about the fact that uh, Kenny Jacket decided to start with two teenagers playing at the back? Um, obviously, shows he's got a lot of confidence in the kids. Obviously, you had uh, Beckles with Ogie one side, Mitchell the other. 
Yeah. Um, or do you just think we were just kind of light on numbers? Oh, I don't know. A bit, maybe a bit of both. But I, I, I think he he brought the boy in from Millwall for a reason. Um, obviously, as you say, he's got confidence in him. Um, he's, the, the lad himself says he's a bit old school, and maybe that's what what uh, Kenny wanted uh, in that particular game. I think uh, overall they, they did okay. Uh, it was one of those where I think majority of supporters, I, I couldn't get to it, so I watched it on the stream. So I was pretty much with the majority, you know, happy with the draw. And I think, I don't know if that means that we're worried that we're going to lose, so we'll take the draw now. Um, and we're just not quite good enough to beat them. Or, um, you know, let's take a, a point and run home with it. But in hindsight, you say possibly two points drop because I think we were the superior team. And... Um, if it wasn't for, again, a couple of poor goals that we've let in. Um, and uh, I don't know if anyone noticed, but I just thought the crosses coming in, especially in the first half, were very dangerous. And that, that's where the penalty came from. Another, yeah, another cross. And uh, we just weren't dealing with the crosses. So a couple of things to work on. But um, as Matt said, you know, it's a point on the road. You're happy with that. It, we've got to take advantage of the home games and we'll come on to Oldham a bit later on. Um, if people have said after six games, look, this is where you're going to be in the league, I think we'll take it. Glenn, I'm going to come across to you now. Um, I'm, maybe I'm going to come across as a bit harsh here because I'm really, really, really unhappy about the way that Kenny Jacket uh, reacted, shall we say, on Saturday with regards or, to his or subs. Not. Or not. Exactly that. Yeah, that's exactly what yeah. I was going to say. Because Smith absolutely dominated them in the first half and until they bought the sub on which was uh, Farkasson until they bought him on Smith was dominating in the air um, they bought two subs on after 60 minutes changed their formation and Kenny Jacket didn't react at all we didn't put any subs until the 90th minute and to me it was coming um, part of the reason I feel that Smith started to uh, to lose headers in the air was because he was absolutely knackered so yeah. why did we not bring on Matoy on go on Glenn over to you Completely. I, I agree with you there. There's, there's a couple of things. Going back to Howard's point about the crosses coming in the box, to, totally agree with you. The problem and the reason why is because we play three at the back and the two wing-backs, so to speak, were getting caught a little bit too high up the pitch and they were breaking very fast against us. So there was lots of space down the sides for their wingers. So that's that. Maybe they'll look at that formation. Um, with regards to Smith, again... I think that's a formation, I'm not going to say error, because we've not lost the game and, and the centre forward scored two goals, but because Archibald and Drunen were playing just off of him, like you said, Billy, he Smith's up there basically on his own a lot of the time and he's doing a lot of work Yeah. and the ball was coming up high, he's using a lot of energy and it's early on in the season and for, let's not forget, he didn't start the first few games, did he? So he's only, what's he played now, three games, four games? Yeah, and he came when he, he came with an injury, didn't he? So he's still getting yeah. back to full fitness. Yeah, so he's he's missed a, a bit a, a chunk of that preseason. So he's trying to get his fitness back as well. When he's played up there on his own, we, he didn't get the support because we were under the cosh in the second half. So when we did get the ball forward, it was going long for him to chase. So he was knackered. I was surprised. We, I, I think, I said because I was doing the stream. I said to the guys in the studio after about. 65, 70 minutes, I said, we look dead on our feet here. Well, I said, we, we really look like we're struggling. The energy levels have dropped massively. And I know it was a hot day in sunny uh, Newport, which uh, you don't hear much, but 
the, the energy levels really, really drops. And I, I was surprised, but then I was looking at the bench and I was thinking, so far we were containing them. As much as they, they got the goal a bit later on, we were containing them. And I thought, does he not want to make a change because we're doing okay? And does he trust the players? I, I, I really don't know what, what the thinking behind it was. And then obviously he made some the two changes in was it the 90th minute yeah he, made, he brought two subs in the 90th minute yeah yeah when obviously the game's dead up. yeah well, we, it, it, that just said to me he's trying to kill time he's happy with a draw on the road it's just it wasn't we're going to go for the win here it's let's shut up shop here let's let's get a couple of uh, fresh bodies on there and let's not concede well again and lose a game see the, what, the worrying thing for me is I'm I'm not going to call it a trend because we've only played six games, but the two games where, so we've drawn 2-2 and the game we got beat against Harrogate, we were, we were in that first half against Harrogate, the game was gone within the first half hour, but yet no changes were made until half-time. So is this something where, you know, maybe Kenny needs to look and evaluate his own practice potentially obviously you know who am I to tell Kenny Jackie what to do he's a very very experienced manager but is this something that is going to repeat itself where Bill, you know maybe the changes don't happen earlier Glenn go on, sorry with, with, sorry with that Harrogate way and he's made changes at half time mm. if you start if you start substituting players halfway through the first start I'm not necessarily saying subs um, but he could have changed formation like you say, the game was done. All right, we we nearly got back into it with a penalty in the second half, which that didn't happen. But if he would have made subs, let's say subs in that in that first half, the, the, the mental effects that would have on this new squad and that it, it could have really backfired, and we we may not have got points or or the win against Bradford the week after. Yeah, no, fair point, fair point. I was thinking more to do with the formation because, again, the players that we had on the pitch, to me, it seemed as though we could have easily changed that formation. Um, I think the players are more fluid than um, than sort of having to stick in one formation. Um, it's, it's very difficult to change a formation while the game's going on. It's a lot easier to get them in at half-time, change it then, get your point across, send them back out. It's very difficult to change it Unless, they've been, unless you're three quarters of the way through the season and you've changed the system a lot and everyone knows what their jobs are in that new system. Yeah, no, fair enough. Matt, am I being harsh? Um, yes and no. Um, you know, I think... I think the thing is, I mean, look, I think there's been a couple of games where he has changed. You know, he has made made, made subs and, and and what looked like, you know, sort of quite dynamic substitutions that we haven't seen for, a, you know, a good few years under several managers. So I think, um, I think, yeah, I'd side with Glenn slightly in that uh, maybe formation changes, you know, you, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, it's a knee-jerk reaction to do it, but you have to be a little bit careful six games in. You know, this is a, this is a I mean, what, what we're talking, you've got, you know, 80% of the, the team is brand new. Uh, yes, they will work through all their training and scouting reports, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think, you know, uh, with no disrespect, and no matter who the manager is, even even someone uh, you know as, as, as distinguished as Kenny, there in his experience, as I always say, Bill, is that you you are dealing with second division players. These guys are there for a reason. Okay, some of them may well be League One players. You know, they, they, we, we've bought from a, you know in, in from clubs higher up the the pyramid, but these are applying their trade in the second division and, and therefore they're not going to be always, it sounds, I'm saying harsh now, they're going to be the cleverest of players and to start mucking around too much, I think certainly earlier in the season and let's face it, while we're doing reasonably well and, and like I say, the Newport game, you know, I thought we, I thought actually we were losing the midfield battle a little bit. Um, 
yes, it was a hot day, but it was both the same, you know, for, for, the, for the same sides. Um, but uh, as Glenn said, and, and what I certainly agree with, was that, you know, we, we, we certainly weren't sort of being bullied out of the game or we were losing the game, you know, and, and, and as I say, no matter, all the way throughout the game, they were still giving us chances. Uh, you know, we had a couple right at the end, didn't we? Archibald was, went very close. And, and, and I think on another day, it's one of those ones where, you know, maybe just, you know, we get a little bit of luck. Could have, could have been the same for them. We get a bit of luck and we will come into the three points. So, you know, I think, um, yes, you want to see some proactiveness on the bench, but also we have to be careful not to go too far the other way. True. I mean, I, th- I suppose I suppose each one of the, the players I was disappointed that didn't get a run out was Omatoi. Because a hot day, tiring legs, Start of the season, he's got a bit of pace about him. Surely that's why we bought him. Um, I was a bit disappointed to see him not brought on. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this, I think it's a couple of times now that Kenny hasn't changed things where the crowd think, oh, this is time for a sub here, and, and it just doesn't happen. You wonder why the manager doesn't do it. Uh, so that's already happened. But um, I don't know, playing devil's advocate on what Matt mentioned about the, the players of the standard that they are in League Two, I mean, all of the board are saying that they're buying players who are League One ready, so these guys should actually be uh, a, a decent, a better for the, than this level. Um, and I think uh, if we look back retrospectively, I mean, we can go keep, we can go back and critique every game, can't we? Um, first of all, I suppose the Newport, we only lost, we, we only got the draw because of I think poor defending on the long throw. If we'd have yeah. defended it properly and the, the goal didn't go in. Then who knows how it would have ended up? We may have won it two-one, and uh, as we as we probably, I think, probably deserved actually to win. Um, and the Harrogate game, I think, was completely different to Bradford. It was a different eleven, different formation. I think Harrogate did their did their work on us, and they just what I noticed was that Kemp was man-marked and just couldn't get the ball. And wherever he went in his hole, the guy just followed him around. He didn't care if he won it or not. And, and we lost Kemp throughout that first half. And I think that was a, a major problem for us. We just couldn't feed him the ball. We couldn't get through the midfield. That's an interesting point you make there. Glenn, coming, just coming back across to yourself there. Um, Dan Kemp doesn't really seem to have found his positions, shall we say. You know what I mean? Is he a 10? Is he a wide man? Is he a forward? Um, and, you know, he seems to have slipped out of favour a little bit with Kenny Jacket. What, what do you think to that? What do you think the cause of it is? Um, new manager likes his own players, doesn't he? Normally, um, if you look at you look at the squad that, that started Saturday, um, there was only oof, what was it, Craig Clay and Lawrence Vigaru who, who started. Uh, uh, yeah, Shavak Ogie as well. You could call, but he did. Yeah, but he didn't really play last year. Did no, he? no, so, true, true. So you look at that and you say, right, he's, he's obviously the. the Craig Clay's coming because Hector's away. Okay, Hector's a young lad. There's only two two players there, and Lawrence, we know he's he's a great goalkeeper. So there's only one outfield player that he's got from the previous regime. The way he's looking at it. Now, Dan Kemp is a great lad, lovely off of the pitch. He, he has something to offer on the pitch. He scores goals. He he creates stuff in the right system and with the right players. Now, he, he's had his chance to start. Uh, beginning of the season he didn't take it he's now out the side it's up to him did he play at Dartford last um, was it Dartford last night I believe um, yeah I believe he played in the friendly didn't he played, a bit of match fitness yeah he's he's found himself out the side uh, I can't it's nothing I wouldn't have thought it's anything to do with his attitude because he's a he's a he's a great lad and I, and I don't think that would be a problem but he's just not fitted in to the, the way they're playing so maybe if you look at the team, 
they are very workmanlike. Even though we've got that bit of skill in there, they are very workmanlike, and they get their foot in, and they graft. And whether Kenny Jacket has looked at it by with with the, the new boys, but in Cal- Callum Riley, he's that type of player who's come from Wimbledon, and he and he wants more workhorses in there. Who's not scared to get stuck in a bit more. Bit more than not, and he just thinks that that's, that game's not suited to Dan Kemp on the moment. But I'm sure Dan Kemp will get his chance, and hopefully he will take it. But going back to your original point, Bill, when you started this, you said I'm going to be a bit harsh here. Yeah, <laughs> I think you have been a bit harsh. You've lost one, one game in six, and the old adage of win your own games, draw your away games. We've drawn all the away. Okay, we lost at Harrogate, but we've won the other home games, so uh, we're not too far away. No, true, that's fair enough. And usually I get called a happy clappy. So, you know, what, what's going on? Roll reversal here, shall we say. All right. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us on the phone. Take care, mate. Have a good evening. No problem. All the best, guys. Yeah, cheers, Glenn. Okay, lovely. All right, so um, I'm sure you don't want to hear any more from us. Let's hear from the main man, Dave Victor, to start us off with, with a little bit of Victor's view, if, uh, if uh, Andy's got it loaded up for us. I'm just looking over him, and he's nodding his head. Six games in, sixth in the table. The O's disappointed with just a point from Newport County. For me, that represents a very positive start under Kenny Jackett. The players signed on transfer deadline day will go a long way to reduce concerns regarding the depth of the O's squad. The fact that Walsh Saturio and Hector Cipriano will be returning from their international adventures with Cyprus and when Happy, Thompson and Paul Smith recover from their injuries, there's going to be real competition, even for a place on the late night substitutes bench. The O's know they should have secured back-to-back wins on the million-pound hybrid pitch at Newport's Wadney Parade. Harry Smith again impressed two goals from two headers, both of the exile goals, disappointing from an Orient perspective. The second half tribute to Justin Edinburgh from both sets of supporters was emotional. Justin would have appreciated the quality and commitment demonstrated by both of his former clubs and he would have enjoyed a very good game. Kenny's boys unbeaten on the road as we return to E10 in the weekend. The visit of Keith Curls, Oldham Athletic, who despite their lowly league position mustn't be underestimated. Yeah, as Dave said there, actually, one thing that I forgot to, mention, forgot to highlight, should I say, was the tribute to Justin Edinburgh in the, in the, uh, in, during the game, which was a really nice touch from Newport, I thought. Um, so, yeah, so I'd like to extend our thanks towards them and their club for, uh, for, for that. That's, um, thank you so much for that. OK, so you've heard from us already. We're going to now move on to Nigel Travis and an interview that was conducted earlier on today via Zoom with our very own Jacob Branson and Steve Tung. Handing over to you guys. Well, Nigel, thank you as ever for joining us. Um, we saw you pre-match on the pitch at the Exeter game when uh, I thought you looked like the rest of us pretty pleased to be back. Oh, yeah, I was so happy. Uh, last year, I went to one game away at Harrogate um, and I uh, was hoping to see another game, but unfortunately I got a false positive, which was a long story. Uh, and... Uh, so I didn't go to the game and several people had to isolate. Uh, we didn't reveal that at, at, at the time, but I didn't have COVID. Uh, I was twice vaccinated, so I was disappointed not to see the second game. But I was really excited to be back. I, I mean, I hadn't seen Kent since December 2019. So that's a long time ago. It was actually at the Justin Edinburgh event um, that we had in December of that year. So uh, 
It was fantastic to be back and a great result. It was a great result. I wonder once a new manager has been appointed, do you find yourself feeling a little bit under pressure yourself, even more desperate than the rest of us, that it should all work out well? Well, funny enough, that's probably normally true. But with Kenny, I think I've detected such confidence in the fans, which matches the confidence our board has in them. I mean, we, and I think, you know, on other shows, not necessarily the Orient Hour, but some of your, let's say, colleagues in the podcast world. I know Kent spoke last week. We were very lucky. We had three candidates that we thought we could give the job to. But Kenny stood out right from the start. He truly is so professional and excellent in everything he does that I haven't really felt any nerves like I normally do. Because uh, I've got such confidence in him, and everything he's done so far has made that even stronger. And um, we pr- probably should mention his assistant as well, uh, Joe Gannon, because until he did the post-match interview uh, after Newport, um, people probably won't have known much about him or heard much about him. W- was it always the plan that Kenny would bring him in because, of, of course, he's worked with him so much in the past? Um, well, I, th- I think we figured out that this time we'd have to let whoever it was bring in their assistant. And you talk about my trip over. We had so many new people that a major goal of the trip was to meet everyone. So I met Joe for the first time. I actually met Kenny live for the first time. I mean, I interviewed him on Zoom, as you do these days. Um, But I hadn't met Kenny live. And I met Jamie, who's uh, been brought into the scouting network. And then we had Mark Mulligan, our new head of fitness and physiotherapist. We had Jake, who's heading up the sports science side. So there's a lot of new people, a lot of new players. So a major goal, and I think it's important in the culture we have at the club, is they have to know us as well as we know in them. Because something I say all the time to new players is everyone is important. You know, as, as no one is more important than anyone else. Um, and and it's a culture that seems to go down well with the players. So meeting them, we had a drink, some snacks in a pub. It was terrific. And Joe Gallon, that working with the manager, that relationship is one of the most important at the club, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, my assessment is they're very different personalities, um, but it works, and and. I think, you know, you've got a situation where Kenny is a bit quieter, very reflective, and, 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 and Joe's also very thoughtful, but he's more outward going. Uh, but they, they clearly know each other inside out. Um, and I think they complement each other. And as someone who believes strongly in challenge, I think Joe challenges Kenny and vice versa. I think we've got a wonderful package and the fact that they have worked together for so long really makes me confident. And I think what you saw in the interview after the Newport game, which I thought was truly excellent, and I know the fans did as well re- reading what they said, uh, and I sent a note to Joe yesterday saying, you know, what a good interview it was. Um, he, he clearly is very capable and probably could be a manager in his own right. So, in any way, surprised at how well it's gone or just a bit relieved, perhaps? No, I wouldn't say I'm relieved. I, I, it, it, I, I anticipated that question. 
I actually think we've probably started better than I expected because we, we had some very tough away games. It is tough to bring in so many new players. But I truly think, and we had a meeting today with our bigger investment group, and they were asking, you know, how difficult it is to bet in all the players. And Martin Ling was saying it's not easy, but this group seems to have come together better than most. And, and there seems to be a very strong bond between the players. So I'd say that if you asked me back in May, how will we do with the fixtures we've had? I would have said perhaps six, seven points. The fact we've got nine points, I think I'm pleased. And being in seventh position after six games is terrific. Well, what about that playing staff? We knew, of course, there would have to be a number of changes. Uh, how overall did it all pan out in the end, including financially, I suppose? Um, well... Uh, it panned out well. We spent a bit more than we expected. Um, so I want to push down a few people out there who claim that we never get our checkbooks out. So I hope everyone's heard that message. Uh, we responded to the needs of what Kenny and Martin wanted. Um, we increased our anticipated budget a couple of times. Um, we had many discussions. As you know, we have this thing called the Transfer Committee about what was needed. We did, and I know you've heard this as well from other people, a lot of analysis on players. We feel that we've done really well. Uh, Martin was saying to me only this morning that, you know, he, he thinks we bought in exactly what we wanted and we're very happy with the squad. We had a couple of gaps at the start of last week, but bringing in Alex Mitchell, who comes with great credentials and funny enough, the owner of Millwall lives around the corner from me here in Boston. Uh, he says great things about Alex. And then we brought in Callum Riley because we felt, and I know the fans felt for reading their comments, that we needed another midfield player, uh, particularly with Hector going away on international duty a few times, that I, I think we covered those bases. And, and Kenny's also been very cute because he's put players in the squad who can play, in many cases, multiple positions. I mean, we've already seen Craig Clay go to right back. Um, and we know that Hector uh, and Prattley can play in the back. I mean, Darren played centre-half, I think, most of the games for Charlton last year. So having that flexibility when you've got COVID hanging around and potential injuries, suspensions, I think we've put the squad together very well. Jacob, over to you. Nigel, leading on from your points about sort of Martin and, and Kenny's needs and, and exactly like you said there, the, the sort of uh, versatility of the squad, was that sort of the, the main focus that they sort of wanted in, in the transfer market? No, no. I mean, thinking back, it was an interesting process because we had more analytics than we've ever had before. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, some of our new investors, and you've heard from Coley, I think, before, are very keen on that. There's a lot of lessons from places like Barnsley and Brentford that we're trying to bring on board, do it the Orient way, but get better. Um, and one of the things that Kenny is very strong on is character. So we tried to blend the stats and the character. But for each position, if I go back to, say, June, we had at least 10 players for each position. And then as people came in, if they were flexible, it sometimes changed the emphasis and Kenny said a thing that at the time I wanted to kind of argue but didn't. He said 
towards the end of July. I think we'll wait until the end of August and then we'll fill out the squad at the end there. And at one time I was a little bit nervous. We didn't have enough depth and I, I know I wasn't the only one with that view. And you've got to always remember I'm a fan. Um, but it all worked out because we clearly identified what we needed and we bought in. If you think about it, the last three players was Therese came in from Norwich, Callum for midfield and then um, Alex. And it filled three gaps that we identified at the time, all based on what the squad could do and their likely availability. So I think it worked out perfectly. But I did think personally in the middle of August, wow, we're going a bit tight on this. Uh, you briefly sort of beat me to my next question about totally sort of use of stats and and uh, trying to sort of gain the edge on the op- opposition. Um, what do you sort of think of, of that and, and sort of the Brentford model as a whole? Well, it's not just the Brentford model. There's, there's many clubs out there and I think, if, if you look at all the Premier League, they all have a lot of people working in stats. And obviously, we all know this came from Moneyball. Uh, and and it's it's quite fascinating watching the Boston Red Sox this year who've really gone on stats significantly. Um, I argue a little bit that stats are great and perfect, but coaching and management is also important and character. I'd say they're the four ingredients now, I'm a bit biased on coaching because I've coached uh, for over 50 years myself and I know the value of what that can do on the pitch. And and I think one of the things that was really educational for me was seeing a team talk by Kenny on a Friday where the, the players couldn't be more clear what he expected and then going out and seeing it implemented on the pitch. It was absolutely brilliant. And so I think you have to combine all these factors. Uh, we're going to get better with our stats. We're going to hopefully unearth some players that no one else has seen. Uh, one of the things I'm doing personally is working with some people over here to see if we can find some players with a British heritage who could perhaps come to Orient. Um, and I'm talking to a group here in Boston who've identified some of the elite players in the northeast of America. Um, they're talking to Martin as well because I think it's important you let the professionals deal with this. But stats will be a, a vital part of our business going forward. Kenny is very stats-driven. And I know from his family that he goes home after every game, watches the game over and over and over all night and the next morning. I mean, you know, Kenny is an unbelievable worker. He just works very hard at it. And uh, and he's very keen on the stats. He's very keen on watching the games. Uh, I think we've now set up the perfect formula. But the point I think we should all recognise is some of this is new. We have to get better at it. You sort of spoke about American players, perhaps, or whatnot, for, with a British heritage. Um, is that going to be something you look at, sort of linking up more with, with Orient and Hartford as a whole? Well, not just Hartford. I mean, we got links with several clubs over here now. Uh, obviously, COVID has, has restricted us somewhat because America's Brits aren't allowed to come in to the US at the moment. Um, we got links with uh, Nordic FC in Vermont, which is the biggest football team in Vermont. I recognise it's a small state before anyone says that. Uh, we got a link 
with fish kills in New York. Uh, we've got Link here where I live, Wellesley. And then um, increasingly, I think we'll make some other clubs, get some other clubs linked up. And I don't want you to go away thinking we're going to have like 15 players suddenly turning up. I mean, if we unearth one gem, we'll be very happy. But it's not just the US. I mean, it was interesting. Uh, in June, the family, we went on safari to uh, Kenya and Tanzania. And in Kenya, there's a whole lot of people with a British heritage, you know, from the past. So I think this is an interesting area for us to explore. But again, it's not going to happen overnight. And obviously unearthing gems is perhaps something that you can do within within the academy. And, and Kenny's sort of shown his faith in a lot of the youngsters already, which must sort of please you. It does. And I went to see a, one of the academy games against Gillingham. We got some real talent. I mean, um, Martin says it's the best the academy's been in his time back at the club. Kenny said great things publicly on it as well. Um, I think we've got a great setup um, in terms of who does the coaching. Uh, and one of the things we talked about this morning, funny enough, is we've got to get a couple of academy games on the Brea Group Stadium pitch because I want all the fans to turn up to see them. Um, and the same with the women's team, but staying on the academy, that will be great experience for the kids. It'll also be good because I want the fans to know these players as well as they do the first team because this is our future. And, and one of the things when we went out and got new investors, one of the things we did not do, we put nothing in for making money on transfers. So I think we should recognise if you've got young talent, one of the benefits is if you can sell one or two players, you know, and we've sold the... Uh, uh, we've sold players previously, even in our regime, with Coroma being a good example of someone who came through the academy. That gives you more money. You can spend some of that on the first team and put it to other uses as well. So I think the academy is absolutely critical. And, and linking back to analytics, we're using analytics in the academy as well as the first team. So I think this summer has been a real upgrade in the level of professionalism that we've applied as a club. That's not to say people before weren't doing a great job. I think they were. It's just that we've put more resources behind some of these elements. Um, and was that a big emphasis when appointing Kenny to, to get more academy players, getting some more minutes in the first team? No, not really. Um, I think he did that himself. Uh, I mean, I've learned so much from just talking and listening and seeing what Kenny does. I mean, I think he's, he, he manages to balance risk very well. I mean, if you think about it, every game you have to take some risk. Who you put in the play? I mean, if we were choosing from the four of us on this Zoom call, and, and for the listeners, we've also got Luke on here. Um, you know, one game I might, may take Steve out, another game I'll put you in. It's always a risk what you do. But I think Kenny is willing to take those risks with young players and I think we're going to see him use the Papa John's trophy, which is always an important, uh, always a very important competition for me because I ran Papa John's, as you know. Um, so I think you'll see a lot of young players come through there. We've also agreed we're going to have two development friendlies a month. So you'll see some of the players 
who aren't in the first team but are experienced with some of these academy players. This is all about their development. And I think those development games we missed last year and we're going to do it this year. So, again, if they're on home turf at the stadium and we let the fans come in, I'd encourage everyone to come and see these players because they're good. Mm. Uh, and switching over perhaps to a bit of a long-term focus, I know you've sort of spoke about it in the past, about a, a hybrid pitch. Um, have you sort of got any more sort of thoughts or update on that? Well, yeah, I can't actually reveal because what we're doing is, let's uh, say, confidential. But it, it's interesting. We did talk about it again this morning. I mean, Newport had a hybrid pitch. They spent a million on it. Uh, we all know that they are one of the worst pitches in the league. Uh, I wasn't there, but everyone who was there said the pitch was great. Um, and I think it was a terrific game of football um, on Saturday. Um, both sides, I think, really competed very well. But I think, uh, I'll just say more news to come, but we're still very excited. But one thing I will say is I'm very encouraged by some of the Thoughts coming out of Tracy Crouch, who was set up as an ex-sports minister to investigate football. Uh, and one of the things she said, which I've said, is it's ridiculous that people like uh, Harrogate and Sutton have to dig up an artificial pitch that they used in the National League. And they obviously use for community reasons, which helps their finances as well. I mean, this is ridiculous. I think she's going to push very strongly that we should have a more open mind on artificial pitches. And it's interesting that I tried earlier this year in April, I think, to get the league to look at it. And a lot of clubs opposed it. Um, and the example I used is where I'm going tonight, Hartford Athletic. They've got a terrific artificial pitch, which actually, having been on it, feels like grass. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so that's interesting, the, the artificial pitches. And and you do feel a bit sorry for a, for a club like Sutton, who, of course, then if they... Uh, if they went straight back down again, for instance, would then have to make the decision of whether to, to go back with an artificial pitch or, or whatever. But just broadening it out a little bit, you mentioned the Tracy Crouch government review there, and I believe we're one of uh, about two dozen clubs who've joined the Fair Game campaign, which is being launched this week. Um, yep. Can you explain a bit about what, what that's about and how it ties in with the, the government review at all? Well, Fair Game... Um, uh a group who've been lobbying very strongly. I think most of Tracy Crouch's proposals they support. Uh, they actually have a meeting later this week, which I'm going to try and join. It's on for an hour and a half, my time, early one morning. Um, but, but I think there's a lot of excitement about what it's going to do. I mean, Tracy Crouch spoke on The Price of Football, which is a podcast to do with football finance. And, and the things I learned from that, besides the artificial pitches, She's looking for an independent regulator that we at Leighton Orient support. Um, she's looking for a redistribution of the funds, which uh, most people won't know this, but after the Premier League was set up, there was a discussion about how it could be, how the broadcast monies could be distributed. At the time, broadcast monies weren't that significant, not like they are now or will be even greater in the future. And it ended up that the Premier League got most of the money. So she's already said she thinks some of that should come down. So I think her proposals are going to be great news for um, Leighton Orient. Um, Fair Game is doing a very detailed job. They've got various papers they've put out there about all kinds of subjects. One, of, one I've seen is governance. Um, and I think they've lobbied very strongly. 
But I think the point I would make to the question is football, and I've said this for a long time, needs to think differently about a lot of things. We need to think differently about governance. We need to think differently about streaming. We need to think differently about pitches. Um, and I think this is the chance for football to have a radical reshaping, which should result in clubs like ours being sustainable on an annual basis. We shouldn't have to keep putting our hands in the pockets. Um, and I think the heart of the problem goes back to the championship where people are shooting for the moon with the Premier League and that wonderful 170 million that's a kind of goal out there. And that then results in people overspending to try and get there. Parachute payments is something that she's talked about being changed. So I'm very confident that out of everything that's come out of the Super League, this will be a positive result for Leighton Orient Football Club. Well, that's good to hear. Did you, in negotiations during the summer with, say, players and agents, did you notice at our level that anybody was thinking differently and that there was any sort of new realism setting in? Not really. Um, I mean, I expected it, but we didn't really see it. Um, I think I haven't actually seen the stats and I, I've not actually read any articles about it, but I suspect there's a lot of players out there out of work still um, who obviously certain clubs will pick them up in the next month or two because, you, you know, just to make sure everyone's clear, if someone's a free agent, you're not limited by the transfer window. You can still out, go out and bring them in. Um, I'm sure it's more than previously, but I can't give you the stats, so I've not actually seen them. And just briefly, a couple more to finish. Uh, what about our level of attendances? We were just under 5,000, I think, for the two Saturday games and, and we dropped about 1,000 for the midweek game, which yeah. I think often happens, doesn't it? What have you felt about those figures? Well, um, funny enough, we beat our goal on both attendances because August is always a tough month. This year was particularly tough because of COVID. A lot of people had domestic holidays later in the August period, so we were pleased with the numbers. We're hoping, well, I'm hoping we're going to do 6,000 this this week. Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting game with some of the issues at Oldham. Um, and I think, you know, I'd encourage everyone to come. We truly want to get everyone across the line. The, the, the things I'd point out to our fans about coming to the game, we're trying to improve the experience all the time. Uh, we're trying to make it a safe environment. But you can also print your ticket at home. And just to be clear, we did have some problems with ticketing uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think we've resolved all that. I, I was on another call about that this morning. So I think that's all resolved. Um, our season tickets are remarkably high. And I'd encourage people to, if they're still on the fence, to think about uh, signing up for a season ticket. You're still going to still get, I think it's marginal now, you still get a deal by signing up for a season ticket right now. But I also want to point out there's still a lot of opportunities for streaming. And um, on Saturday, uh, we had 980 fans stream the game away in the UK, which is terrific. I mean, that's income for the club. And they saw a great game. And I will continue to push for more streaming so everyone's clear. Uh, we're obviously restricted by the rules. And uh, I think, as I said earlier, that needs a substantial rethink. Uh, but I don't think the problem's the EFL. I think the problem is other clubs are totally worried about streaming, cannibalising 
their attendances. And having had a quick glance of a survey done by Luke, our fans seem to love streaming. I think we've done a good job with the um, with the package, the pre-game, the halftime, the post-game show. Uh, and we want to show more of that to our fans. But I'd encourage everyone, go to the game. If you can't make it, when you're able, sign up for streaming. Very good. And last of all, uh, have you got a slightly quieter period now until the next window, or is there still an awful lot going on behind the scenes? <laughs> it's funny. Martin said this morning, he said, I have a boss who never gives up. He said, the window shuts, and Nigel's on the phone to me saying, are you thinking about the January window yet, Martin? So uh, in theory, Steve, the answer is yes. But, you know, it's tough running any sports teams at the moment. I mean, COVID is still around. You saw what happened to Newport, what happened to Harrogate, what happened to Sutton. Um, Boston Red Sox here at the moment got 12 players on the COVID list. Um, it's going to affect the NFL. It's going to affect every sport. So going back to our earlier discussion, I think we're going to have to be quick on our feet because... Any club could have a COVID outbreak. We had one last year, as you know. So I think that's a big concern. Um, that's why we're pleased we've got flexible players. It's also good that we're developing players who can come in. And uh, that's why those development games are so important. So the answer to your question is, in theory, it should be quieter. But, you know, we're really trying very hard to get promoted um, in the next one or two years, I'd love to go up this year. I think we've got a squad who can make it, but we're going to have to learn to be flexible because, unfortunately, things suddenly happen. Well, fingers crossed. And Nigel, thanks again for answering all those questions as frankly as ever. And we hope it won't be too long before you're back over here with us. All the best. Well, no, I'm 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 back. Uh, I'm back for the Mansfield game. I mean, uh, uh, I want to. Uh, see a lot of people at the Mansfield game and I think Kent talked about this last week One, I think the next visit after that because I'm trying to get back to my normal schedule now is I want to have a game where we see the first team and then about an hour later we see the women's team love all our fans to stay there because this would be great for women's football let's say we have an attendance of 6,000 if we could have at least two or 3,000 staying on to see the women, think what that would do for women's football in East London. So that that's on the in the plans. It should happen in the next two months. And uh, you know, let's let's give the women as much noise as we give the men. Thank you to much for Dave Victor there, Jacob Ranson and Nigel Travis. So some really interesting points made there. I'll be really interested to see how many people do stay for the women's game. Hopefully, as Nigel says, it'll be a hell of a lot. It'll be wonderful to uh, to give them that support. I know they're working really hard to, uh, to to bring the women's game up and to get the club onto um, an even keel with the men's game even. So, all right, we'll move on now to the Oldham preview uh, in, head, in front of Saturday's game. Now, Matt, I'm going to pass over to you on this one because I know that you've uh, been speaking to some of their fans. I see Oldham are in turmoil. Probably is the best way to describe it, aren't they? They, they are, Billy. I mean, they're, they're, they're where we were in, in the third year under under Eshaw, not be named. I mean, it's, it, it's an absolute farce. It, it, you know, I've, I've been discussing with 
uh, the push the boundary action group, and then latterly the the trust that have uh, have made some big changes to their board recently, and and it is a club in turmoil. It, it mirrors the situation, uh, uh, you know, the orient between two thousand and fourteen and two thousand and seventeen, almost exactly. Just you know, different dates, different, different things have happened, different dates, and 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 unfortunately, I mean, all right, okay, we're only six games in, but you know, you you, you know, the table doesn't lie. Um, apparently, they were absolutely terrible in the Barrow game. Um, I mean, I know this is Orient. <laughs> you know, we, 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 you, yeah, we, I mean, I'm hoping, obviously, obviously, of course, that we, that we want to win. Um, but I'm hoping for a, you know, a, a good day out for the Oldham fans. And, and, and as I've been sort of saying on social media, I hope that, um, you know, that the fans are vocal inside the ground from Oldham uh, against the, you know, what is what is ridiculously poor and rogue ownership. I'm hoping that the Orient fans, you know, show some solidarity and, 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 and back them and, and show them that they're not alone. I know that some Warrior fans were mentioning that they were worried that Oldham were going to try and do a uh, pitch invasion inside our ground. And they were mm. saying, well, you want to do it in your ground? We did it in ours, you know, best of luck to you, but obviously not in ours. But I don't believe that's on the plans. No, no, they, they, they've sort of the trust, both the trust and, and the push the boundary action group have stated that, you know, out of respect for all home clubs, you know, they can never guarantee obviously what's going to ha- what's going to happen. But, you know, they have both sizable memberships into four figures and, and, and they've sort of stated that, you know, effectively, not under their banner, if you like, that, you know, we want Oldham fans on the road to support the team uh, as much as they can, um, you know, to, to, you know, show the media that they are in real trouble and they want, they want the owner out. But also, as I say, as a respect to, you know, when they're on the road, as a respect to home, uh, you know, respecting home fans and home grounds is that they don't plan any sort of protest on the pitch or any sort of, you know, anything that's, uh, you know, uh, that sort of breaks law and all the rules and, you know, enjoy themselves as much as they can. Um, uh, and like I say, you know, I think, I'm, I'm sure if they do that, they'll they'll gain a lot of credit for that. And, uh, you know, not just Orient, I hope that every ground that they visit over the next however many weeks this this may continue to go on I hope every League 2 club you know their fans show them you know they're not alone and that you know that they you know because this could happen to any club Billy you know as, as, as we've seen there's been enough crisis clubs over the last couple of years and you know and it's going to keep going on until we get some independent regulator and reforming football unfortunately that might actually come too late for Oldham and you mentioned earlier on uh, we, we were talking off air about the fact that it, unfortunately it seems to be that particular area of the country right now Oldham, Macclesfield, Bury—you know—they're all they've all struggled recently with uh, with poor owners. It is. It's quite shocking that you've got three clubs. You know, one one Bury obviously had to reform as a phoenix. Um, you had Macclesfield who've, who've gone bust. Obviously, Savage is in there now, and it's good to see them on the way back. And and I really do fear for Oldham. I mean, you know, I can I can see them quite easily dropping out of the league this year. And if the owner was to remain there, yeah, I can see another Bury situation uh, quite easily. And you mentioned that there've been unpaid wages and things like that. So allegedly, obviously, we have to say allegedly. Yes. You know, um, there's been allegedly unpaid wages. We know that a lot of the under 19s are currently in the first team, yes. and they're expected yep. to play. Very similar to what we went through. Exactly, very similar. There, you know, there's been allegations of unpaid wages. There is an embargo. That's fact. Uh, you've got an owner that doesn't really talk to the fans. You had a, a big rambling long message that you put out um, only 48 hours ago that, that read like a, you know, a read like a, a certain Italian chairman statement in, in his time there. And uh, and yet there is so many similarities. You know, what is apparently a poor sporting director bringing in some very very strange foreign imports, shall we say, into the team. And you know, you've had eight or nine managers in there over a period of about three years you've had managers claiming about interference and you know that that is that's a horrible shocking look to the orient about three or four years ago isn't it 
Yeah, and obviously we, and one of the things we talked about earlier on is, you know, sometimes there's rumour go back and forth. And we, every football club has rumours and things, obviously. But when you look at the sources of the of the statements that are being made, obviously Paul Scholes was one of the people that came out and said that there was interference from above. You know, how, you know, we, we said... Paul Scholes is not someone who needs to make a statement or anything like that in football. Everyone knows who he is. So if it wasn't true, would he? Would someone like him need to say anything? No, of course not. You know, there's others. There's many there that have already, uh, you know, you, you read between the lines about all these guys. As you say, they're not going to say, there's no smoke without fire, as they say. So um, very, very similar, as Matt, Matt has said, as, as our old situation. And you just wonder how uh, the EFL allow this still to continue and, and come away with a line where we're just, we're just a fixture secretary as long as you play your matches. You know, it's just, it's, uh, it's terrible. It's a terrible situation and the sooner the better that someone really gets um, stuck into it and uh, the, as you say, independent regulator, as Matt said, gets involved in, in sorting out these owners, um, the better because uh, we're going to lose the clubs. We, we were so lucky in our situation you know, I can more than simply I can emphasise, obviously, being in the heart of the club at the time when we were going through ours, and uh, literally 20 minutes away, it felt like, you know, you're just sitting here for the for the door to close for the last time, and it was uh, it was a terrible situation. And thankfully, uh, Kent and Nigel came along, but yeah, I don't know, don't know really what to say. As you say, there's definitely no smoke without fire, and uh, this guy's dragging them down. I do feel sorry for them, but uh, still want to win on Saturday. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think, you know, I think we all want Orange to win. And to be fair, I don't think the Oldham supporters would begrudge us that. I, don't think, I, think, I think, Billy, you know, it's a bit like us. The result is immaterial. It's second yeah, nature to them now. And, yeah. and I think, in fact, you probably find quite a few Oldham fans saying they'd rather keep losing because it, it might actually force him to, you know, force him to leave. Um, you know, I mean, like I say, this is the Orient. I mean, it, it would be just like us to go and lose, sadly, wouldn't it, I mean, really? If you it, want you to play know. one club, we exactly, you know, space, exactly, we one club out of the 92 that, that were there, you know, it would be Orient. But um, I, I mean, I'm obviously hoping it would be so. But yeah, of course, I want us to win. But as I say, I want us to, you know, stand by Oldham just as Blackpool did with us and, and, and Charlton. And, you know, and, and how I made a good point there, it, it, you know, it's, it, it's not just the, the football side. These are people's lives. You know, Oldham is, Oldham is a very big community club, it's a close knit community. Um, just like we were in East London and, it, and it's you know people's jobs you know people could lose their jobs over it and everything else was going on with Covid and I could, we could open up a massive can of worms but you know th- these are people's lives that these owners are playing with Billy and, and it's just you know it's just so unfair that you know that uh, and as and again as Howard said you know what, why did the EFL let you know keep let going I suppose you could almost lay, lay the black, some of the blame at the club owners that vote at AGMs why are the club owners not voting for reform and change I mean that's a you know another massive point but um, you know like I say let's let's hope for the you know the three points on the pitch on Saturday and a good performance and and let's hope Oldham gets sorted as well because to me that's a that's a win for football and and, and for Orient fans. And now just quickly, obviously we're wrapping up the show. We're going to have to uh, we're going to have to finish soon. But as someone who's was employed at the club whilst it was going on. Obviously, I know you can't give us any details or what have you necessarily. But how are the members of staff feel? How are the members of staff at the club going to be feeling right now? Uh, Oldham. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think desperation. And um, you, you're just looking, you're just hoping that, that you have this hope that you cling on. I mean, obviously, some guys at Orient at the time, I'm not saying they jumped ship, but you know, they had their livelihoods, as, as Matt said, you know, they had jobs, they had to have a job, so they'd look for a job, and then some of them moved on because there was no guarantee that Orient would be there in, in what, six months, three months' time, or whatever. 
um, and some of us stayed on. It was just just the hope, and you hear the whispers. Oh, well, yeah, there's someone interested. You think, let's you know, let's see what happens. Um, me personally, it was I was going to go down with the sinking ship because uh, that's just the just the way I felt for it. Um, there was a couple of us in the office who who felt the same, and we were going to wait till the very very last moment before we we had to go. Um, you know, we were hanging on to that thread. But like I said, it, it's, it's just a feel of desperation. You just there's nothing really tangible that you can do because it is out of your hands. Even though you're working for the club, it's still out of your hands. You know, you've, you've got somebody making decisions above you who's uh, not quite got the right frame of mind, and um, you know you're, you're holding on for dear life. So definitely sympathise, empathise with them. Hope they they can deal with this guy, and, and he does leave and do the right thing eventually. Um, but we're all ultimately. Football is a business, I guess. We've come through the other side. We've now got to look at ourselves and moves on. We'll give them as much support as we can. and um, But we've got to look at our professional attitude and, and say, well, we've actually got to go and yeah, do a job, job, on yep. the, job on the pitch. We've got to go and do it. But we'll support them off the pitch. And with that in mind, obviously, we're just thinking about the team going ahead to the uh, to the game on Saturday. Obviously, um, uh, Hector Kipriani and Rul Sotiri have both been away with uh, with the Cypriot under-21s. We don't know if they'll be able to play yet. We believe, because it's an ambulance country, that if they are double vaccinated, they will be able to play. If they aren't, then we believe that they'll have to um, self-isolate. But obviously the club haven't said yes or no as yet. So uh, I think we'll, as we're we'll talking, as we're it. talking, Billy, I think Danny Macklin's ready to uh, what, sponsor a couple of needles, is he? Or uh, <laughs> I think we'll, 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 we'll line up and... Uh, you know, some of us could give them the jab or whatever. So but there you go. Let's, let's hope they are back. Yeah. That's Keep it. Going. Okay. All right. So thank you ever so much for everyone tonight. Thank you for uh, Matt and Howard for joining us in the studio. Thank you for Dave Victor on the phone. Thank you to Steve Tong and apologies to Steve because apparently I forgot to thank him earlier on for the interview with Nigel. So I do apologize, Steve. Thank you for Jacob Branson as well. And Glenn Wilkie, last of all. It has been my pleasure tonight. Take care. See you later. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.